Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, as we continue on in our study, now through the Old Testament, um, if you've been coming for a while, you know we did five years in the New Testament. We knocked that out. Uh, and now we're uh, into the, our 15-year journey in the Old Testament. We are more than uh, half a year in. So uh, we're in Lesson 32 of however many lessons there will be to cover the entire Old Testament a chapter at a time, but we've got our work cut out for us. It's kind of handy for me knowing what I'm going to do every Wednesday, uh, and uh, so there's, there's the upside. Um, lots of good reasons to look at the Bible this way. Having it in context is good. I, I enjoy the opportunity to read the chapter um, into the church every week, and uh, you learn a lot that way. And we, we started with the New Testament, and now hopefully we're, we're filling some gaps with uh, the Old Testament. Remember, in the book of Genesis, I'm just trying to, I don't, ex- you won't remember everything, uh, and I don't expect you to, but I'm hoping you'll remember that there's four main events, and there's four main characters, and there's one big thread, and uh, that you'll go, okay, Genesis is about these four events, which is creation, and the fall, and the flood and the Tower of Babel. And these four characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now you think, well, you're leaving out Adam and Eve. They're a big part, but this is, this is the four that I want you to remember. And that from that, the big thread that we're looking at is called the Crimson Thread of Redemption that starts after the fall and weaves its way throughout the Old Testament and finds its consummation at the cross. And so... Um, so you'll see how amazing it is, what God is doing, and, and how often the enemy is trying to make it stop, and the lengths that he goes to, and how close he gets sometimes. I mean, God's always sovereign, has that under control, but, you know, the enemy keeps thinking he's got it figured out, and he'll wipe out, like, the entire line that's left but miss a, miss a baby somewhere. Uh, and, you know, you, you know he thought he had it knocked at the cross, right? But he was wrong. So um, that crimson thread of redemption is working its way through, and uh, it's very important to us, obviously, who Jesus is. So anyway, uh, that's what's happening. We are looking at Jacob's life now. We're in Genesis chapter 32. We've, uh, we've made great progress. We've, we've, uh, we've looked at Abraham, and we've, um, we've spent some time looking at Isaac, uh, and now we're at Jacob's life, and we've, I don't want to review the whole thing, but um, you, you, if you remember, he had... 20 years prior to the time we're at now, he had left home because he was, uh, was kind of caught up in some deceptions in a really messed up family, and he had uh, told some untruths, and uh, his brother wanted to kill him, so he took off, and he, he married uh, sort of into the clan, um, you know, a long distance away, and we watched him, you know, with the two wives and all the stuff that they went through, and he's got 10 boys and a girl now. And he's on his way back home because God has told him it's time to go back. And uh, he sort of snuck out in the night and remember that Laban came and tracked him down and said, why did you sneak out at night? You know, why did you deceive me like this? Which is sort of the pot calling the kettle black because he was the, one of the biggest deceivers you'll ever meet. And they sort of do this thing and they have this little truce that's you know known as mitzvah where he says, I won't come past here and you won't come past there. And so that's where we left it last week. Now, um, where we pick up the act- action in Genesis 32, at this point, um, um, Jacob's, you know, he's relieved now that, that because of that and because of the mitzvah thing, he's safe from that sort of avenue of attack. Um, but, and he's headed towards Bethel, which is God, where God told him to go. But now he knows, you know, moving forward that he's got to deal with Esau. 
And so this is a significant deal. And Esau wanting to kill him was one of the main reasons when he left, why he left, you know, along with wanting to find a wife, his parents wanted to find a wife from the clan. So um, in, in journeying to Bethel, he was going to come to Mount Seir, which is where Esau lived. And so he's aware that that's part of the deal. And he knows he's got an issue. Um, and, and, you know, an issue with his brother is a big deal. In Proverbs 18, 19, it says that a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. So he's got an offended brother, and he's got to go back and deal with all that. And so he's anticipating a pretty difficult reunion. And so he, he actually, you're going to see Jacob. He's going to do some smart stuff, and then some, he's going to act in faith and then in fear. And we watch this throughout their lives, and I think we can relate to it without picking on him. I think that's a pretty good picture of most of us. But anyway, he, he starts sending messengers, you'll see this, to inform his brother that he's coming. So he's getting out in front of this thing, and he's saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, we're coming, you know, I'm coming that way. Uh, but, but he does it, and he doesn't, you know, even though the Lord's told him to go back, he's really not trusting in the Lord at that point the way he should, because he's... You know, he's the, the, the one that God has chosen to carry on the Abrahamic covenant. He's in this redemption line. And yet, uh, he's, he's so f- afraid of Esau that he sends things like, uh, he's sending this message calling Esau my Lord, and he's calling himself his servant, when really we know that the way the blessing has fallen and everything, it's the opposite is true. But anyway, um, uh, and then, you know, he's going to make this big display of his wealth, to try and impress his brother also. So these are all things that he's not completely trusting in the Lord, and he's sort of trying to figure out what he needs to do. So let's read the verses, and we'll talk about it more on the other side. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. 32 verses, not a real long chapter. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, manservants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. And then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant." I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them each in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me, 
and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you're to say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gift went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the fork of the Jabbok. And he, after he had sent them across the stream, he went over all his, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hips, so that his hip was wrenched. As he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so there's a lot going on in that chapter, and uh, let's kind of run through it. So there in the beginning, I think it's pretty cool that uh, as Jacob starts out, he sees the army of angels before him. God's got an army of angels before him. And the way he says it, he says, this is God's host or army. And he, that name that he used, Mahanaim, which means the two camps. And so in effect, what's going on now is that there's Jacob's camp and there's God's camp. God has sent a host of angels to be with Jacob on this journey, and Jacob actually sees them. Now, he had seen angels 20 years before at Bethel uh, when he learned that God was with him. But, but now he finds out that these, these, you know, the angels are there with him, and they're, they're going with him on the journey. And what he should have taken from that is God is true to his word, and he doesn't need to be afraid of anything. So uh, that's pretty cool. Angels, um, pretty cool uh, study. Uh, angelology, it's called. I think that's cool. Um, and um, there's lots of books written on the subject, but but be careful when you start um, doing any sort of uh, reading um, because a, a lot of the information is not biblical. And you want to be very careful that you always process what you read about angels through the Bible. And... and uh, Um, you, you need to know angels um, are, are real beings. Um, they, they minister to God's people, but it's God who commands them, not us. So um, they respond, they, you know, they're, re- they're responsible to God. They, they you know, listen to him. They do as he bids. They do uh, impact us and help us, but you can't boss angels around. So don't try it. It won't work. Um, but I, I, you know, we live in a culture 
Interesting. So our worldview makes it very difficult for us to um, really believe in angels because we, we have a, our, um, a lot of different worldviews make it much easier for people to believe in, in that level of reality. Um, I, again, I, I may have said this before. I think because so many of us grew up with the ideas of when we think of angels or, or spirits, we think of ghosts and we got this Casper the ghost thing in our mind and, and uh, we, we, we sort of struggle with the reality of that. And, but, you know, um, uh, angels I, are, are real. Um, the Bible says they're real. They're, they, they do um, somehow minister to us and, and uh, at times watch over us. And, and uh, I think you've all probably encountered angels at some point. You may not have known it because uh, apparently we don't always know. But uh, I think it's very cool to know that God has sort of that whole level of stuff going on. Don't you? Isn't God cool? There's mysteries that we don't fully fathom. And that's difficult for us too because we think we can figure everything out. But um, I I'm fully believe it. I believe I've had encounters uh, um, it, with an angel um, at one point in time when I was in a bad situation when I was younger. And uh, I still remember it clearly. Uh, it's interesting. I, you know, I can't say I got one hanging around all the time, but maybe I do. I don't know. Okay, so... I hope we do. I hope they're sitting like here in here. <laughs> but if I started doing that, you all think I'd lost my mind. And rightly so. So don't do that. Okay. So he, he sees the, the, arm, the angel army is there with him. So it's, you know, Jacob's got a big camp and there's the angel army walking with him. Um, and he, he sends the messengers out, you know, and the, it takes a big long time to move this group. He's moving this group along from, you know, where he's at um, to Bethel. And he sent these four messengers out, you know, the four runners out to Mount Seir. And by the time um, they sort of get to the Jordan, the messengers return. And their message is that Esau's on his way with 400 men. And Jacob freaks out because that doesn't sound good to him. Uh, he, you know, he, he's like, uh-oh, we're in big trouble now. And so he jumps to a wrong conclusion. Anybody ever jump to a wrong conclusion? And anybody over, doesn't that amazing how that can happen? You can hear something and you can so, you can get it so wrong that you move in a direction that was so unnecessary because you really slip out of faith and into fear. And so we got Jacob now back operating out of fear, which is never a good spot. And that's after he's got the... You, you know, again, I'm not picking on him. He, he'd seen the, the angel armies walking with him. So, you know, if you're, if you're thinking the angel armies with you, Esau and 400 guys is like, psh, that's it. One angel, maybe two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many angels that takes, but I'm, I'm going to go with the angels. But anyway, you, you know, and, and then I think probably too, he's dealing with how he had deceived his brother, right? So the guilty, the guilty conscience is off. That's not good either. That will add to the whole worst case scenario thing and the fear thing. And you can take it and blow it up. Maybe none of you ever do that. But nonetheless, so faith is really crowded out by fear here. And so what's he do? He starts scheming again. He starts figuring out what he can do in his own strength to try and figure this out. And in the, instead of just trusting in God, now he's going to trust in his own resources, and he has quite a few of them. 
And it's, it's difficult um, when you've got a lot of resources you can trust in to, to really um, know that you, you can trust God because you'll ultimately we, we go to our resources first. Um, but it says, you know, in verse 7, he was, he was greatly afraid and distressed. And there you go. So he's, he's scheming away. And instead of thinking about the angel army, he, so he's already got two camps. He got his camp and the angel army. He, he divides himself into two camps. And uh, his thinking, if his one is attacked, then the other one could escape. Um, and, and, you know, really, he would have been way better off just staying with the original two camps, which was him and the angel army, his camp and the angel army camp. But anyway, nonetheless, he's, he's got things changing. And then he prays. And really, the prayer is excellent. The, the, uh, the theological composition, if you would, of the prayer is something to be studied, but he, it doesn't have the impact in him that it should have. So he, he gets the prayer right, and it's, it's, it's probably one of the greatest prayers recorded in Scripture. And, and he, he prays it at a time when his faith is very weak, which is, again is okay. Uh, and, and every statement in the prayer, Jacob is is making it clear that he understands uh, how uh, how amazing God is and and that you know that he's aware of God's knowledge and his character and yet he's kind of praying in desperation not in confidence again not the worst thing sometimes that's okay but the the ultimately as he was praying this the hope is oftentimes that as we pray um, we, we get a sense again of who God is and we realize that, that we can trust him and what's happening. And so, you know, he, he brings up the covenant and how, they, you know, he made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and that he was a part of that covenant, and, you know, that, that um, he needs help. And then he, um, he, he reminds God, you know, that he was the one that had told him to go. And, and that was, in fact, true and that, that he had said that he would protect him. And he's, he's sort of wondering what's going on with that and... And, uh, and then he kind of reminds God of, of how he's been with him all over this 20 years. And every time, you know, there was a burden that something that happened to, uh, to Jacob that God had been faithful and from the very beginning in the process. And, and now, you know, he's, he's pouring out this prayer and he's, he's not only thinking himself, he's thinking about his family and, and of the plan of the, the multitude of people that would spring from um, him and, and bring a blessing to all mankind. And he's reminding God of all these things and even reminds him of the promise he'd made to him that he would do him good and multiply his descendants. So he's, 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 you know, he's speaking out all of these wonderful promises and encounters that he's had with God and yet it really doesn't help him much move from fear to faith. And, uh, and so I think we learn from it that, that you know, as you, as you think about those things, see, a lot of times when we pray, I think, you know, what comes out of us will be all the times that God has moved and stand on those, remember those, hang on to those promises. Um, and so we can trust him and, and, you know, not be afraid. So anyway, he has his great prayer, but it, it doesn't seem to bring peace to his heart. So he decides he needs to pacify Esau. He doesn't have any idea what's coming on with Esau, but he's projected that Esau's coming to kill him from 20 years ago, and, and that's what the 400 guys are about. And so he puts together an extraordinary gift. I mean, this is, this is 580 valuable animals divided into separate herds. It's a big, sent out it, with space in between them, so that they just keep wandering by Esau and every time he runs into him, he's, what are you and where are you from? And this is a gift for you. 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 That's, I, that's Jacob's plan. I'm just going to 
wear them down with gifts. And he says, we keep telling them, I'm coming at the end. I'm coming. But just look at everything I'm giving you first. So he's trying to really, you know, hopefully he's going to impress him with his generosity, he thinks, and with his, you know, words and, and you know, call, I'm, you're the Lord, I'm the servant, when it's not true. Um, and, and so he, he's hoping that he can just kind of sneak in with that last herd and everything's going to be okay. But, but here's the deal. So the real problem here is in Esau, it's Jacob. And so God's going to show up and help Jacob by doing some really neat stuff. And it's really cool. And, and, so, and so he, it's, you know, it's not, it's not safe to cross a river at night, but he does it anyway. He gets his family all across there and he's by himself. And that's the opportunity that God uses to um, deal with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's important that we take time to get alone with God every day because you have to get away from the distractions or you'll be distracted. And, and so he's really got nothing to distract him now. He's all alone and he's, he's, he's not doing very well. He's afraid. And um, he's, he's trying to take care of his loved ones and everything and, and uh, two camps and all that whole deal. Um, and then the Lord shows up in verse 22. And... Uh, I like this, that he, he has a tendency to meet us where we're at and in ways that we can relate to personally, and it's different for everybody. So um, when uh, Abraham was sort of a, a pilgrim and a traveler, and so when God appears to him, that's how he appears as a traveler, if you remember. Um, when Later on, you'll, you'll look in uh, Joshua, and you'll see that uh, Joshua was a soldier, and when God comes to him, he comes as a soldier. Uh, and Jacob had sort of spent most of his adult life wrestling with people. Esau, Isaac, Laban, even his wives. And so God comes to him as a wrestler. I like it. That's how God operates. And, and um, you know, at Bethel, 20 years before, God had promised to bless Jacob. Uh, and from a material point of view, he certainly had. He was a very wealthy man. But there's more to the blessing of God than just material things. There's, there's the, you know, the idea of a, a godly character being formed and having an influence, you know, a spiritual influence in the lives of the people that you're around. And so, you know, Jacob's having this, for lack of a better term, like a dark night of the soul. And, uh, and, and so God shows up. And the reality of the struggle, the wrestling match, is, is God wanting to show him that that the only way he would ever win was to quit struggling and surrender to God. And, and so, um, you know, Jacob wanted the blessing of God in his life, and he'd done a lot to get to it. Um, um, but, you, you know, in the encounter, it's, it's, it's what, what he does. When, if you notice, the Lord asks him his name. So God says, what's your name? God knows his name, right? God, God's not doing this for information's sake. <laughs> God's trying to get Jacob to look at something. The last time in a, in a pinch like that when he'd been asked his name, do you remember when he was deceiving his father? And he said, you know, what's your name? And he said, Esau. And this time he has to answer and he says, Jacob. But do you remember that I, I told you that his name means uh, deceiver? And that they're in the Bible... Um, names are very important about how they relate to character and so um, 
Jacob had the reputation of being and living up to his namesake. He was a schemer and a deceiver. And, and the question is really, Jacob, are you, are you going to continue living up to your name, deceiving yourself and others, or will you admit to who you are and let me change you? That's sort of the heart of God towards him. And he gets a new name, and that name is Israel. God gives him a new name, Israel. And, and that word in the Hebrew means to struggle, but, but you could, it sort of means ones who wrestles with God or, or um, let God rule are, are sort of what that name Israel actually means. And be, Jacob has ultimately become stronger because he finally quits trying to do it in his own strength and just surrenders to the Lord. And he says, okay, you're God and I get it. And so he, the transformation that happens is significant. And, it, you know, the whole hip thing is um, that, that he, you know, part of that was he had to see that he couldn't do it in his own strength and, and that, that God was going to be there for him in the process. And so Jacob, you know, becomes strong when he becomes weak. And that's how it works. There's something about life where we kind of figured out when we finally surrender to God that, that life starts to change. And Paul figured that out as well, the Apostle Paul. And um, uh, he names that place Penuel because he'd seen the face of God and lived. And so, uh, significant encounter um, with God. And, and now at this point, you know, as we get ready for the next chapter, here's, here's what's going on Jacob has a new name, he's now Israel. He has a new walk because he limps now. And there's something about the limp that's going to... See, the whole thing is every time he limps on that hip and it hurts or reminds him, what's he going to think of? God wrestling with him and giving him a new name and reminding him of his new character. And, and this new relationship with God was going to help him um, solve lots of different issues uh, as long as he exercised faith. And he's about to face the, the biggest test because next chapter Esau shows up. And we'll see what happens from there. But that's kind of what's happening with the whole issue. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, there's something very powerful in, uh, in that whole idea of wrestling with God through situations and realizing that you have to surrender to Him. And, and in life, a lot of times, I don't think we really start walking the way we should until we kind of walk with a limp with Him. We sort of get to that spot where we've, we surrender and say, God, you know, it's, it's you. I can't do it without you. I need you desperately. And I don't want to keep trying to do it in my own strength because it doesn't work. And then, in our weakness, he is strong. Go figure, that's God. But he's good that way. Okay, that's enough for today. Things to think about. You can go back and look at all of that. If you're watching my video, thank you for doing that. We'd love to see you here at some point. Come and visit us. Uh, or get here on the weekend. And we'll see you soon. There you go.